Uh, so we're going to be on a journey of a lot of different verses this morning, and eventually we will get to those verses that are in your bulletin if you've glanced at them, but uh, that will come in just a little while. Uh, so before we came up with our new branding, uh, dig in, branch out, live it up, right? Uh, all the way back to the very beginning of Green Tree, about 20 years ago, there was an original branding of the original group of folks that came together. I don't know that it was ever, you know, officially written down or published on a website or anything like that, but Scott Holly was the originator of this statement. You've heard it before if you've been here for any amount of time. So it's still kind of our non-official branding. And the statement simply goes like this. We may be idiots, but we're God's idiots. We may be idiots, but we're God's idiots. There's a couple great things about that. One is it's true. And two is that someone would actually verbalize it so that we could hear it occasionally and remember to believe it. In fact, if you go out to our new patio out there around the fire pit, you'll actually find a brick that says just that. We may be idiots, but we're God's idiots. What we're trying to discern through this sermon series is how do we be a witness for Jesus Christ? If we are a disciple of Jesus, part of our calling, not all of our calling, but part of our calling very clearly is to bear witness to him as our Savior and Lord. So a few weeks ago when we kicked off this series, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, and we asked this question, what are some of the reasons why we don't share the hope that is within us. And one of the answers that came back from several different folks in the text messages that we received was, I'm a mess. <laughs> My life does not always reflect the love and the grace and the mercy of God. So I could actually do more harm than good by sharing my faith with others. So that's what we want to tackle this morning. Are we really a mess? Is that true? Is that accurate? And then secondly, if it is, should that silence us? Or perhaps is God wanting us to understand something a little bit deeper, something a little bit more life-giving than just that answer? Sermon in a sentence this morning is pretty simple and direct. Disciples of Jesus are simultaneously a mess and active witnesses on his behalf. So it's not one or the other, it's actually both and. So I want to give you four observations this morning from a variety of different scriptures. We're going to bounce all over the place. They'll be on the screen so you can jot down the references if you want to go back and study them some more this afternoon. I have one piece. I have four observations. The first one is we're going to do a little bit of teaching. And then the last three, the bulk of the sermon is going to be application this morning. It's going to be practice. How do we practice being disciples of Jesus when we're both a mess and we're called to be a witness. So the first observation is this, is that we are both at once. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, the apostle Paul, one of the greatest disciples of Jesus ever to walk the face of the earth, said this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, right? So Paul is looking at his life. And he's looking at, at, at the whole of his life, the churches that he's planted, the, the people to whom he's borne witness for the gospel, the persecutions, the imprisonments, the beatings. He's looking at his life. Paul writes this letter to Timothy towards the end of his life. And when he looks at all of those things, here's what he remembers. I'm the biggest sinner walking around on the planet. What Paul says in that verse is apart from Christ, I'm a complete mess. That's the Apostle Paul. That's not you and me here at Green Tree Community Church. That's, that's the Apostle Paul. 
But the Apostle Paul also wrote this a few years before that in 2 Corinthians. Same author says this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're representatives. We, 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 we're making his appeal, right? God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul understood that, that he was a mess, and yet at the same time, he was called to be a witness for the grace and the mercy of God through Christ Jesus. So there's the Apostle Paul, who's probably the other name in the New Testament that maybe stands out uh, after the Lord Jesus's behind uh, Paul, who would be maybe the next guy in line, and that would be the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter was the, the, the person Jesus said on this rock, on the truth of what Peter has just said about me being Christ and Lord, I'm going to build my church. Peter, who, who was the only disciple willing to get out of the boat and try to walk on the water by faith in following Jesus, right? And Peter has this experience years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. While Peter is one of the main guys establishing the church, Paul says this about an experience he had when Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul is saying Peter in that particular occasion was an absolute disaster. He was a mess. He was living the height of hypocrisy. But then first Peter, sa Peter says in a letter that he wrote, a few years later, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. There's that word witness of meaning the sufferings of Christ that leads to our salvation. So therefore, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The apostle Peter, the same as Paul, was both at the same time. He was a mess and he was a witness. So if that's true and you're a disciple of Jesus here this morning, the same is true of you. Don't take this personally, don't get upset, but none of you can outstrip Paul or Peter in the work they did for the kingdom of God, right? You might live up to some of the things they did, but you'll probably never surpass them. I know I probably certainly never will surpass any, I, I don't want my name mentioned anywhere near those two guys, right? If we're comparing uh, resumes, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a way, I'm not even a distant third, that, that wouldn't even be right to say. So if that's true, if I'm a mess, but God's called me to be a witness, how do I respond if both of these are true at the same time? Well, there are a couple of wrong choices we could make. The first would be just to focus on me being a mess. And I just, you know, realize that, that I'm just not living always the way I should according to the, the spirit of God living in me, according to the word of God, and I'm falling well short. And that leads me to silence, right? It leads you to say, you know, I, gosh, if I talk to anybody about Jesus and they, they think about my life, they're, they're, you know, there's going to be a disconnect. So I ought to just be quiet. But then, you know how that sin that keeps coming back up in your life? You know, you know that one, that one you don't tell anybody about, right? The one you kind of keep hidden, the one, you, the one that isolates you from everybody else. What does that end up doing to you? What, is it, I, what it does to me is it makes me silent. So, gosh, if I'm no better a Christian now than this, I, I better just be quiet. And then it leads me to despair. That's both bad theology, it's not what the Bible teaches, and it's also a terrible outcome because there are people all around us every day that are a mess, but they're a mess outside of the kingdom of God, and they don't know the grace and the mercy of Jesus, and God's put us here to be a witness for him. So that's a bad answer. The other answer would be to focus maybe not on the mess, but focus on just being a witness. In other words, I'm going to ignore the sin patterns in my life 
I'm going to, to, to allow them to lead me to hypocrisy, to dishonoring the name of Jesus, and, and to some people actually rejecting the gospel because they do look at my life and they do listen to my words and they can't begin to put the two of them together. It'd be like watching a commercial where the president for the hair club for men comes on and halfway through the commercial, his toupee falls off his head, right? It's the equivalent of that. You go, what a hypocrite. What a liar. He doesn't, he doesn't believe what he's selling, right? But that's what the church says, or that's what the world says of the Christian community, and with some good reason. I love uh, Brennan Manning's work, not because he always got it right. There are a lot of things that, that Brennan Manning wrote with which I disagree, but he is one of the people in the, in the 20th and early 21st century that was able to put his hands on, or his finger on the pulse of the hypocrisy in the church of Jesus Christ, and, and he wrote this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds preposterous. What's the answer? Is there a better solution? We can't just live in our mess and we can't just live in a witness, seek to be a witness and ignore the mess, is there a deeper answer? And this is where we're going to get into application. If both are true at once, then how do we respond? I want to give you three responses that I believe scripture give us this morning. The first is this, we need to be candid about the struggle. We need to be candid about the struggle. Again, the apostle Paul writes this, therefore, and he's speaking about himself as well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice the tense that Paul used there. This is a fact in my life. If I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The, the death hold, the stranglehold that my sinful nature had on me has been broken and done away with it, right? Do I still continue to sin at times? Yes, we'll get to that in a minute. But now in Christ, I am a new creation. Could you find a more joyful message this morning? Could you find a more assuring message this morning that God has you, that he's gonna hold on to you, that the new life you have is because of what Christ is doing, which is living in you by faith. Paul wrote that. Paul also wrote these words. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. What a wretched man that I am. The next line, which I, which I don't put in the passage. And by the way, that's Romans seven fifteen and following through the end of the chapter. Uh, and we should all go home and read that five or six times before we go to bed tonight because it reminds us of who we are apart from Christ. Now, Paul's writing that after he became a Christian. He's not looking back at his life and saying, this is who I was before I met Jesus. Paul's looking at the ongoing struggle in his life, and he knows he should do good. He knows he should follow Christ, and yet he knows that, that time and time again, apart from the grace of God, he stumbles. We need to acknowledge the tension that's there. God has saved us, he's redeemed us, he's given us a new life, but the old nature that's in us dies uh, kicking and screaming. And, there, and we won't be perfect until when you open your eyes and you go, there's Jesus standing right over there. Two things have happened, right? You're now perfect and you've died and you've gone to heaven. 
But until that moment, this tension will be in the life of every disciple. So let's be candid about the struggle. This week, I cursed at two of my fellow drivers on the highway, and I shared the gospel with somebody. You know what James says about that? Tom, how can you curse your fellow man who's made in the image of God and then bless your God and Father? Tom, these things ought not be, right? So I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it. I'm ashamed of it, right? What if the people I cursed pulled over and said, hey, can we talk to you about Jesus? Because we think you need a savior, (laughs) right? We've got to acknowledge the true tension that lives in our lives, even as disciples of Jesus. But we also need to focus on the promise of God. Because while I know I'm a mess, that can't, that can't be my focus. It, it can't stop me. So Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this body of sin and death? Praise be to God for Christ Jesus. And then the very next thing he wrote down, the very next thought in his mind was this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? It's both at the same time. He's being, he's being honest and he's looking at the promise of God and he's understanding his identity is now ultimately not his failures, but Christ's success in redeeming him and saving him and giving him new life. And Jesus doesn't condemn him. And so he allows that to be the focal point, the foundation of his life going forward. I have not, I'm not condemned by God. There's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The, I talked about the brick patio a few minutes ago, and, and, and uh, we may be idiots, but we're God's idiots. Our family did some bricks, and we did a couple of silly ones, but because we're green tree, we got to do a couple of silly ones. But we also did a couple of serious ones. And my serious one simply says, uh, Tom and Cindy Ricks, Nathan, Katie, and Jordan. And then the, the, the bottom line says this, Romans 8, 1. Because I need to remember that every day. Because I am a mess. And the weight of... of of those mistakes I make and the intentional sins that I commit, even knowing that I ought not to, can become a weight of condemnation around my neck that you might as well throw me in the ocean and drown me for all the good I'm going to do to be a witness for somebody else. But I need to focus on the promise of God and know that my identity is in Christ. And then I need to live with transparency. I need to live with honesty. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In other words, I've had an encounter with God and, and it's been an awesome encounter and the gospel has overwhelmed me so that I live in that fear there is a reverence and a holiness. It's a, it's a gladly bowing down and acknowledge that Jesus is the great one. So we try to persuade others of that. But what we are is known to God and I hope known also to your conscience. Paul isn't saying there, and by the way, God knows how great we are. He knows how lucky he is to have us, right? <laughs> That's how we, Paul's saying God knows us through and through. And I hope that's also known to you. What's Paul saying? What is Paul wanting the Corinthians to know? He's wanting them to know that he's saved by grace too. He's not saved because he's this super apostle. He doesn't get a free pass. He deserves hell and condemnation just as much as anybody else does. But he's saved because of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. And that's clear to God. And he wants it to be clear to the world around us. We need to live transparent lives. I'm going to go back to Brennan Manning for just one more statement. There's a beautiful transparency to honest disciples who never wear a false face and do not pretend to be anything but who they are. We need to be candid about the struggle. We also need to practice relational honesty. 
as Christians, we say our creed is that we believe that we are sinners saved by grace through faith. But more often than not, we pretend to be sinners that are saved by superficial appearances, which lead to false expectations. Oh, you should be a really good Christian and do that and not do that, which leads to hidden sins, right? Because once we expect of one another a holiness that comes from anywhere else but our relationship with God, we begin to deal with the guilt of never being able to be good enough. And then we begin to feel the pain of that guilt, and it's more than any of us can bear if we're honest. And so we begin to hide our sins, and we begin to pretend. And we live a life that is shallow. It doesn't mean that, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not a believer in Jesus, but I am saying that we're missing out on the glory that is ours in Christ's redemptive work when we don't live in his grace and in his mercy. We must be honest with one another and acknowledge who we truly are in order to protect one another from falling into this trap. So now we're coming to the verses that were in your, uh, in your bulletin this morning. A quick review of our true identity. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We're like, that's right. Those evil unrighteous people, they're out. You know, only us righteous people are in there. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, those no good so-and-sos. We're with you, Paul. Keep preaching. Do not be deceived, Paul says. I'm going to change that just a little bit. And I'm going to say, don't be deceived about yourself. Okay. Now, that's not in the word, but I think it's part of the application. Okay. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I think Paul is being pastorally nice there. (laughs) I think he could have just as easily said, and such were all of us, right? Because here's the fact of the matter. If you go through, could you go back to that first page? Okay, you just look at that list. I'm not going to read it for you again, right? But if you look at that list, okay, and then you go to the second page and you look at the rest of the list and you can't find yourself somewhere in there, you need to talk to somebody who loves you well enough to tell you where you fit because you're in there, right? I'm in there several times, okay? I'm not inheriting the kingdom of God because I've committed those, a lot of those acts in thought and in word and in practice, okay? Such was Tom Ricks, okay? That's the action I bring to salvation. That's my activity. That's my part, right? But then Paul switches it and he talks about the, what we've passively received, what we didn't work to earn, but what's been given to us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, We need to have this relational honesty that allows us to be true about our nature apart from Christ, but also celebrates the fact this is what God has done for us. Because when we celebrate what God has done for us, the temptation to be arrogant, the temptation to be proud, the temptation to be superficial begins to loosen its grip on us and we begin to live the reality of who we are in Christ. And that is our witness to the world. Your goodness and my goodness apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only not a witness to the world, it's counterproductive because it's a lie. Because nobody goes to heaven because of their goodness. 
The only person that deserved to go to heaven because of his goodness hung on a cross so that you and I could experience grace and mercy and forgiveness. And as a church, we have to understand this. And we have to apply it to our relationships with one another. What does that mean? It means that we need to cultivate what I'm going to call gospel-centered friendships. Where there's no pretending, but there's also no condemnation. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul's talking about this very thing. He talks about how we need to look out for each other, what our relationships should look like compared to what the relationships in the world look like. And he says this, if anyone is caught in a transgression, okay, if anybody messes up and it becomes obvious to somebody else, and most, I don't know about you, most of my transgressions are very public, right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't say I don't sin in private, but, but I, I'm kind of an emotional person, and so my sins tend to be pretty, they're like, oh, there goes Tom again, right? So if, anybody's, if Tom's caught a transgression, what are y'all who are spiritual supposed to do? You're supposed to restore him with the spirit of gentleness, right? Your goal is not to condemn them. Your goal is not to say, well, there you go again, doing that same thing. I told you that. I don't know why you can't get it right, right? If you're spiritual, what will you long for? You long for Tom to be right with Christ, which means repentance, confessing my sin, receiving the forgiveness of God, and then living by faith, right? That's what we want. That's restoration. But watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Those are the kind of relationships we want to have at Green Tree Community Church. We want to have that honest kind of relationships where, where when we're confronted by our sin, that we actually thank the person, right? It might take a couple minutes, right? You might not say thank you immediately. Uh, I, I remember about, it's been a long time now, but I remember a small group we were in in the 1990s. And we're still friends with lots of those folks. A couple of those folks are, are, are here at Green Tree. A lot have gone other directions. But I remember one time before Bible study when one of the guys pulled me aside. He's a little bit older than me, probably about 10 years older. And he said, I got to tell you something. And I was a pastor at the time, right? And this, this guy's coming to talk to a pastor. He says, the way you talk to Cindy sometimes in public really isn't very good. It, it, it really sounds kind of harsh and, and kind of harmful. And there I could point to two or three things in, in our marriage that I think really God used to kind of turn us at, at times, some little, some, some big. But this is one of those moments I look back on and go, gosh, he's right, right? Now, I didn't change overnight. I'm still in the process of changing. She's sitting in the room. You can ask her for yourself, right? But that was something that God used because of the spirit of gentleness, but the willingness to honestly say, brother, this, this ain't right. This doesn't look like a follower of Jesus. And, and let me help you carry this burden. James puts it this way in his epistle. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Right? We want to cultivate a gospel-centered friendships within Green Tree so that we don't pretend that we're perfect. But when we sin, there's not condemnation, but rather there's confrontation and gentleness and a kindness bathed in prayer that calls a brother or sister back to relationship with Christ. Relational honesty. Candid about the struggle. And the, the, the last application practice this morning is we need a proper balance in our lives. If the scales of life, life are tipped too, tipped too far one way, we will overemphasize the mess, and that allows us to be comfortable in completely ignoring our witness for Christ. Or it's what I call the Moses complex. 
If you want a good laugh, read uh, Exodus chapter 3 and 4 this afternoon and, and read it in the, in the way it's meant to be read, okay? God comes to Moses and he says, I, I, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to set them free. You're the guy I'm going to use. And then literally it takes two chapters for Moses to make excuse after excuse after excuse as to why God's wrong and he's, he's, he's got the wrong guy. And he starts out by saying, well, when I go to Pharaoh, uh, who am I that I should bring the people of Israel? Now, if you know anything at all about Moses, you know that if he had stayed in the lifestyle he was before this encounter, if he had stayed where he was in his place in Egypt years before, he had a good chance of being the next Pharaoh of Egypt, Right? So when he says, who am I? You're like, you were one of the most powerful guys in Egypt. What are you talking about? But that's his lame excuse. Who am I that I could go, that I could go and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The second thing he says is, well, the children of Israel are going to say, what's in the name of this God? And I don't know your name, so I should stay home. <laughs> right? I don't know what, how to answer that. Okay. Then if that were, and, and by the way, every time there's a bunch of verses in between this where God explains to him how it's going to work out, okay? So it's not like we go from one to one and God's sitting there dumbfounded and not knowing what to say, right? God gives Moses the answer. Then he says, well, they won't believe me. They won't listen to my voice, right? Oh, that sounds way too much like what I say. I don't know that I want to talk to people about Jesus. They're going to think I'm kind of nutty. They, they're not going to listen to my voice, right? He, he just tells God how the outcome is going to be. God, I know you're God. I know you're outside of time. I know you know the beginning from the end, but you missed this one, and it's not going to go well. So let's just call it a day. But wait, there's more, <laughs> okay? Oh, my Lord. Now he's, starting to get, now he's starting to beg, okay? I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. God, I, I don't know what to say. I would, my, my, I would just get tongue-tied, and it would be a total mess, right? And then finally he tells the truth, okay? And he says this, Lord, please send somebody else. <laughs> you want to know how I'm really feeling? It's like last week when we showed Kevin O'Brien's video, and I said, some of y'all are clapping, going, thank you, God, that you sent Kevin, and I didn't have to do that, right? Okay. Moses finally just comes clean, okay? When we tip the scales too far, and we overemphasize the fact that we're a mess, what it does is it allows us to excuse our own sinful behavior of not being a witness for Christ. And it allows us to stay in a place where God never intended. And so we need perspective because being a mess is no reason for silence. There's no reason for us to be silent about the hope within us. In fact, being a mess simply makes you the same as every other believer walking around on the planet, right? Lots and lots of people, probably lots of people in this room have memorized Romans 3.23, very famous verse in scripture. And this first half of that paragraph, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, but, but whoever was teaching us Bible memory should have made us memorize the second verse because it, 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 it completes the thought. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but 24 is just as important and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So if you're a mess and a disciple, welcome to the family. We're glad to have you. That identifies all of us. Now, that's not an excuse for us to stay in our sin. It's not an excuse for us to say, well, I'm going to do bad things, so I'm just going to go on and do bad things. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But we need to understand and have an honest perspective about who we are. Some people say to me sometimes, you know, you're pretty honest about your sins when you're in front of people. And I say, well, you know, that's, be, not, you know, you 
think I'm a really great guy and I'm humble and all that. It's really because I know you might see me in the grocery store <laughs> or driving down the road and I don't want you to be confused. Um, I am a mess and I'm not proud of that. We were at a trivia night last night at Kirkwood High School. The junior class was putting on a trivia night. And um, one, I was sitting next to a couple of the administrators, a couple of the guys. And one of the guys said something that was a little bit inappropriate, okay? It was just a little, it wasn't a lot. I'm not going to say what it was because it was a little bit inappropriate. But I laughed, okay? And, and I laughed because it was funny. Okay, I'm sorry. But it, it was just kind of a little bit funny. And I, and I, and I laughed a little bit. And, and a gal sitting across the table looked at me and she goes, you're a pastor, right? <laughs> I want to say, no, Cindy is, actually. I just I hang out with her. I said, yeah, she goes, and, and you're the pastor of, and I'm like, Green Tree Community Church. <laughs> but then she said, and what time are your services? I, even God can use a stupid thing, a laugh of mine, to, to bring redemption to somebody. I don't know. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't say let's, let's go out and sin so people will be shocked about our faith. That's not the point. But the point is if we have a perspective that we understand that we are saved by grace, that we fall short, it will protect us from arrogance. It will protect us from dishonesty. It will protect us from being disingenuous. And my last observation here under this proper balance is practically speaking, I think everybody ought to have a partner. Everybody ought to have a partner that they can talk to honestly about both of these sides of the equation, right? Moses eventually had Aaron, and, and they were lifelong buddies, right? What does King Solomon say about community? He says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. You think about the New Testament. You think about Jesus sending out his guys to preach, and it says he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. You think early on in Paul's ministry, before his name was even changed to Paul, it was still Saul. The Holy Spirit speaking to the church at Antioch says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I think there's something about having at least one person in your life that you can sit down with and say, I need to talk about how big a mess I am. And they're not going to condemn you. They're not going to say it's okay, but they're going to love you. And they're going to want to help be used by God to restore you, to walk with, through you with repentance and with grace and forgiveness, acknowledging sin, absolutely, but drawing us back to the mercy and grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Because if you don't have that person, you begin to, you begin to live a superficial life. And the facts simply are this. We are a mess, but our mess doesn't define us anymore. The grace and the mercy of Jesus defines us and we need and we must be witnesses to that grace for the world to see. Will you pray with me? Father God, why would you save a group of people like us? It is truly astonishing. We do not deserve it. We could not earn it. We didn't even have an intention to desire it. That's how lost we were. But you are rich in mercy and you've made us alive in Christ. And you're changing us. Uh, you're, yes, we're a mess, but it doesn't define us anymore. It's lost its grip on us. And we're beginning to look just a little bit more like Jesus every day. Father, please continue to do that work in us. But also, Father, give us an honesty 
to understand that this is a lifelong journey and it will be a lifelong battle. That both of these things are true at the same time. But, but, but you win. Your power wins. And you call us to trust in that. Not trust in ourselves. Not trust in our strength. But to trust in your goodness, your grace, and your power. That would allow us to be a witness for the glory and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray it in his name. Amen.